Hey everybody, welcome to You Were Born for This Podcast with Father John Ricardo. That's me. I'm your host, Father John, the Executive Director of Acts 29, where we talk about anything and everything related to transforming parishes. I'm here as always with uh, Nick and Mary, my co-hosts, and talk about a need to transform parishes right now in the middle of this virus, right, Nick? Oh, yes, Father John. It is, uh, this is, there's never a more pertinent time than right now to talk about these kinds of things. So what's our topic today, brother? This is, a, uh, this is an odd thing. Here we are in the middle. We're trying to do a podcast by way of video. Much like everyone else, we are, um, we're in the throes of, of disruption. And so that's what we're talking about today. We're just three friends um, in three different states of life, uh, just having a really honest, frank conversation. And we're disciples of Jesus, which makes all the difference. So as disciples, um, having this, this, this conversation in a time of crisis about how we're doing, you know, being real vulnerable and honest. Right, just trying to model like how crucial this is to do at times like this, right? I mean, I think that's the point, right? It is the point. So, Father John, will you, will you uh, open all of us in prayer? Yeah, let's do that. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Father, we turn to you always uh, in our need uh, and to the praise you and thank you, but most especially in this uh, time when the entire world is groaning uh, in the midst of this pandemic. We ask in the name of Jesus, who is your Son and our Lord, that you would be merciful to us, that you would turn our eyes and our hearts back to you, that you would give us the wisdom to see what it is that you're asking of us and the courage to do that. We ask your anointing now upon us, on all the ears of uh, our brothers and sisters who are listening, that it would be profitable and fruitful for our lives at this time. We ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thanks, Father. So today we are remote. The audio quality is a little down. Uh, just apologize for that, but I'm sure you're all experiencing a lot of phone calls yourselves. So, um, uh, but as we open this, Father John, uh, you, you mentioned just, you know, the importance of leading with vulnerability and our brokenness. Can you just say more about that to kind of get us started? Yeah, you know, as we were talking about what, to, what might be helpful for people today, I mean, some of the images that came back to mind as a priest, especially, it were, uh, I can think of three times, especially in uh, sharing things uh, as a priest in homilies that just really helped change people's lives. So I battled depression, as I've talked about, uh, you know, lots of different occasions. And the first time I ever talked about that, like countless people just came up to me and said, gosh, that was so helpful to know that you deal with this. I battled depression. It gave them permission, right? Or when I talked about the experience of having been abused when I was a child, again, like tons, I mean, tons of people, men and women both came to me and just said, I've never talked to anybody about this in my life. Thank you for doing this. It gave them permission to be real, right? And then when I, was, uh, when I went through the loss of my mom, my dad, and my brother, and I was just trying to share with people uh, how I felt in the midst of my grief, it again gave other people permission to be real. And so the thought here is people crave vulnerability, right? I mean, we crave vulnerability in <laughs> others. We, we crave people being real. And I think all of us can be afraid of this. I, I know priests are very afraid of this. Um, they're afraid they're going to push people away. They're going to come off as broken when they have this, you know, really silly understanding that I'm supposed to have all the answers and be all put together when in fact, 
no one's all together except God, right? And so brokenness actually attracts people to one another, makes us real to each other. Um, and our work with priests, you know, in Acts 29, over the last 10 months, every time we go to a diocese and we, we do a retreat with priests, I mean, we talk about our own experience, us as a team, not just me as a priest, but us as a team of working in parish ministry or diocesan ministry and just mm-hmm. the, the exhaustion that we experience or the discouragement or the loneliness or the frustration or whatever the case might be, right? And we don't do that to wallow in it. Now, we do that really to just uh, to let the guys know, hey, we did it. We've been there. We understand what you're going through to create a context where they can then talk about it, but then also to create a way to get out of that, you know, to, to, or rather maybe better to let the Lord <laughs> into that experience. And so for right now, I mean, I don't know about you guys, but there's so much rhetoric that's going on in the media, uh, everything from, you know, the blame game to name calling to what appear to be, who knows, empty promises mm-hmm. about what's well, going to get better. I mean, who knows what it's going to get better? I don't know. I mean, there's, there's doomsday scenarios. None of this stuff's very helpful. What seemed to us and talking about today, what would be helpful is just being real and being honest about where we are, um, wh- what we're afraid of, what the Lord's saying to us, uh, and where we're finding strength and solace and comfort in these days. Because if we're, we're experiencing it, you who are listening are experiencing it. That's the idea. Yeah, that's exactly right. I think about, you're talking about vulnerability. Um, I think oftentimes we think of vulnerability as a bad word, you know, because it's, it, that, that makes me um, woundable. But that's exactly the point, you know, um, by being able, by being willing to allow myself to be wounded for Christ's sake, for the sake of the body, it's actually, actually, the paradox has become healing, you know, mm-hmm. by exposing that which is weak in me, suddenly uh, right. everyone else can feel the same permission to do the same thing. And by, I mean, St. Paul says, right, I boast in my weakness. That's and right. uh, I think that's, that's, that's the very thing that drives the power of vulnerability, especially in times like this. I just wanted to speak into something Nick just was saying. Um, you, you, you talked about um, that we boast of our weakness. I think in this crisis, it, it, we live with the illusion, or we have lived with the illusion that we're that we're un, that we have control. And if we're vulnerable with one another, it makes us look weak. It's actually the opposite, because if the truth be told, everyone in my neighborhood and in my community is dying to talk to someone to be honest and to be real. And as we socially distance ourselves, unfortunately, by the same token, we're socially isolating ourselves. Mm -hmm. And to the degree that we are vulnerable with one another, uh, we get healed in the process. All the fear and all those lies start to come to the surface and then we can address all of that. So I just wanted to say that about vulnerability first. Oh my gosh, as to where I am, how many adjectives can I offer here? Sobered, <laughs> adjusting. Um, and as we record this right now, I can tell you I'm better today than I was yesterday, but not perhaps as strong as I was uh, two or three days ago. And that's simply because the news is changing every single day. Um, there's so much in the news cycle. And I think more importantly is each of us start to hear about people in our lives 
who have tested positive, who are quarantined, who are in hospitals, friends of friends who have died, funerals that can't be had, weddings that can't take place. All of a sudden, the statistics that we read about in the news have a face on them. And I, I think that's brought it close to home uh, for me and my family. Um, so for me, it's like I'm standing on the beach and every now and again, another wave comes. And as I was praying with you guys before we started to record the podcast, I was just reminded of the line from Lamentations that every morning God's mercies are made new. And so I find at least myself each day standing in the truth that um, God renews his mercies for all of us day by day, which gives us the ability to pick ourselves up off the sand as we're standing on the beach and not stay down and let those waves of fear and oppression settle upon our hearts. Because we say it all the time on this podcast, I am not afraid God is with us. We were born for this. And so today I'm standing up. I don't know if I'm going to be standing at the end of the day, but I'm standing stronger today than I was yesterday, if that makes sense to you guys. Yeah, thanks for the honesty, Mary. Nick, how, how, how are you? How are you feeling as a mom or as a dad and a, a husband to a, a woman who's preparing to give birth? Yeah, that's the biggest, that's the biggest thing right now for me that comes up with regularity. Um, so yeah, Emily's pregnant. We're doing six weeks and we're on a three week quarantine with potential for, for what? More weeks, right? And, uh, you, you, you know, it's like, so, so in one moment, like right this second, I'm like, Hey, I feel pretty good, but it doesn't take much to get me on the spiral, you know, of uh, a downward spiral. And then it just, you know, just, uh, turn to the Lord in that, but you know, thinking about delivery, the hospital sickness, the potential for her to have to be there without me at the hospital, because that's sometimes happening in certain places. You know, the, they're not allowing spouses to be there. Um, it, it, it's a, it is a tremendous temptation to feel anxious, and at times mm-hmm. I do. Um, it's a tremendous temptation to feel uh, fear for her, right? Like I'm, I'm her, I'm her support, and. Um, in a very vulnerable moment giving birth and uh a lot can go a lot can, a lot can go wrong giving birth right and so there's just a lot of that there's a lot there to um to think about um and to just invite the lord into and uh um i think i think another thing that this virus um kind of becoming particularly rampant right now it it has threatened what I have built as a husband and a father to be protection and security for my family, right? That's like one of my key roles is to provide and to protect. Mm-hmm. Now I can't imagine having being laid off right now. That would be something on, that would that would threaten um, providing in a, in a unique way. But so I don't have that circumstance. Thank you, Jesus. But um, all those normal provider, those protection things are being threatened. So it's making me rethink. Like, how do I protect my family in this? What do I do? What do I need to do to make them feel safe and secure? And um, really, it, it, it's exposed the, the lies that, like, I have protection in food or shelter. Of course, some of those things are true. But the real, the real truth is that the only thing that I really, um, the only thing that I, that, I, that I can really do is turn to the Lord in these things and rely on him. And that's been the conversation at home is, 
we have to rely on the Lord even more than ever. And um, yeah. sadly, I wish I said that all the time that I rely on the Lord as much as I am right now. But this is it's a it's a great opportunity for us to grow. You know, Nick, I want to speak into that. First of all, thank you for that. And I I, I know um, you have been very present in this team in our prayer uh, and in our prayer here because you find yourself in this very unique place uh, as you expect your new baby girl. Like many people, um, we're all working from home. So my Steve is working from home. So this is my office. There's another room over here. And I hear him all day, every day on conference calls. And they're making decisions on who has a job, who's not going to have a job, how much of a pay cut um, are some of these people going to have to accept. Um, what facilities are going to be powered up, what are going to be what are going to be shut down. So all day, every day, I have access to conversations that he's having, and it's just heartbreaking because, like you, he's our he's our breadwinner, and uh, he's having to make some difficult decisions for those people um, that he's responsible for um, in his company. And uh, yeah, so that's just all part of what this looks like and it's uh they're hard conversations to overhear right um mm. yeah and i think as a, as just a a mom too our daughter lives in detroit and uh, she's been working from home they quarantined uh much earlier than the state of michigan is i'm looking at uh the executive order from our governor and you read it and it's rather surreal but they were self-quarantining early on and then her husband who goes to school um uh, his university was shut down. They went to online courses, but they actually offered some of the students, and he actually works at Wayne State as well, um, offered them um, kind of a pretty penny to go out on the front lines and start doing testing in the city uh, at, the ho- at the various hospitals. And that was something they really had to think through, like, did they want to do that? And so I had concerns about their well-being as well. And because we're all self-quarantined, we don't get a chance to see them unless we're FaceTiming. So this is touching every uh, facet of our lives. And as a mom, just like, you know, um, as you spoke to Nick, um, you know, wanting to protect, um, my role too is to bring comfort and solace and encouragement and peace. And when my peace is disturbed a little bit, I don't feel like I'm able to do what it is I'm supposed to be doing for my family as well. So, yeah. Yeah, one of the things that as you're as you're talking, Mary, that comes to mind is uh, as you talk about uh, your daughter and her husband, and there's a I think one of the things that I'm feeling that I know a lot of people are feeling too, and that they were trying to wrestle with is how do how do you navigate this tension of wanting to be on one hand courageous and heroic, and on mm-hmm. the other hand prudent, and and I think at least for me personally and a lot of priest friends of mine. Um, I think we probably erred towards the courageous and the heroic early on. Like we always, we all want to be St. Damien Malachi and run into the lepers and like, I don't care if I get sick. And then you realize, whoa, 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 it's actually not about me. It's about whether or not Others. I might get somebody else sick because of where I've been and whatnot. I know there were a lot of priests, myself too. I mean, we were early on, we were doing masses in homes if people invited us to come to homes. And then uh, there were a couple of times when I just kind of went out and made house calls where I just had the Blessed Sacrament with me and I brought the Eucharist to homes and it was just unbelievably inspiring to walk into a house 
see the whole family just drop to their knees um, and their grateful response to being able to receive Jesus and then giving communion to people and, and, you know, encouraging them as I did that to just, guys, just say for this, I have no idea when you will receive the Eucharist again. So the, mm. the, the point there is just, I think we're all wrestling with, man, I don't want to be a coward. Um, and I don't want to be an idiot either, <laughs> you know? So thus, uh, there's a prayer that we've talked about, I think once or twice before that uh, has just seemed so urgent right now. Like, Lord, give us the wisdom to see what must be done and the courage to do it. I mean, courage without wisdom is just, acting foolhardy and i think we we, we want to try to avoid that so but if i can let me, let me just ask you guys a question because um what you share especially as you know married people and as parents is so helpful i know for people to hear but um what are you afraid of mm. yeah i mean the, the the honest response is i'm afraid uh my wife will get this and she's pregnant and uh she also has an underlying autoimmune disorder um probably not as significant as others autoimmune disorders but I'm, I'm that's my that's my number one fear is like emily will get this and her and baby will die that's, that's the number one fear i have um and that uh it comes up often and um it's uh and so as a result of that it causes other fears like hey nobody touch me or get near me right which is like in almost almost an unhealthy way right you know um even just seeing a neighbor and and and, and like that's running through my mind it's like you know <laughs> where's being practical yes to protect yourself but also like jesus and my, my hope and trust and confidence is in you but it, it is that is my that is my that is my fear for sure yeah thanks brother i i can only imagine mary what are you afraid of oh gosh um Losing loved ones, um, losing friends and family. I got word um, about, uh, I think it was over the weekend, of a friend of mine who lost uh, someone very dear to them in their in their mid-20s. And it was just really sobering to connect with her to hear that. And uh, so, I mean, that reality could, call, could come to all of us. Um, so loss of life, losing friends and family. My sister also has um, an immune disorder and um, has regular infusions. And she's a nurse practitioner on the front lines. And I think nurses in a particular way have a call within a call. It's a vocation within a vocation. And uh, she's a very courageous woman. And my brother uh, um, also works um, in a group facility caring for uh, the marginalized, those who are emotionally and physically disabled. And so my concern is for them. Obviously, I'm concerned about Steve and Elise and Curtis. Um, yeah, I, I, I've, I've tried to temper that with, you know, Father, you were talking about, you know, balancing the heroic with the prudent. You know, um, for me, I, I want to be great and I want to leverage this time for the kingdom. And I was, um, sometimes I balance that, you know, you know, wanting to be great and all the like like you can't just have a pie in the sky attitude about any of this i mean when i read the lives of the saints during times like this 
it just makes their stories all the more heroic because as mm. Americans, we really haven't lived through anything like that. Like this is a hundred year event and we're being tested in a way that we've never been tested before. And you really want to be great and to be forged in the fire and come out of this uh, ready for what I would, I think we'd all love mm. to see revival and this great awakening. Um, but I was reminded of a line from St. Therese. I think I shared it with you, Father, earlier in the week that she said, it's not death that will come and fetch me. It is the good God. Mm-hmm. So in the midst of the fear about losing my life or my family losing their life or losing friends and family, we have a father, a Steve's father is in a nursing home. He's 90. His mom's 89. My mom's 82. They're all not in the greatest of health. I have to remind myself that it's not death that will come fetch them. But it mm-hmm. is the good God, but we're human mm-hmm. and we grieve. And so um, the sad and the sorrow, sorrowful are kind of walking side by side against this desire to press into the reality that God is good and that to live as Christ and to die is gain. Yeah, yeah, that, that's exactly the passage that comes to mind for me and that I've been praying with. I mean, it's, so it's interesting hearing you guys talk about fears and um, and me, it probably probably reveals how extraordinarily selfish I am um, in comparison to you guys. Um, it's funny because I'm not, I'm, one, I'm not afraid of dying um, personally, like death is gain. And, um, and I'm not afraid of losing loved ones because um, I've lost so many, I've buried so many people. I mean, I've buried, I don't know, a thousand people at least in my life probably. And I'm so profoundly aware of the thin veil between us and them and goodness gracious. I mean, I I spend so much time all day long talking to my mom and dad and my brother and different friends of mine or saints who are Mm -hmm. with the Lord, you know, in heaven. And so I don't fear death and I don't fear losing people. I think for me, if I'm really honest, like I'm afraid of getting sick personally, like I'm not afraid of dying. I'm afraid of how I'm going to die. Like, that's what I'm afraid of. And I'm, and, and I, the reason why I think this, this kind of uh, conversation is so helpful is because when you say things out loud, you kind of get control mm-hmm. of them, right? And one of the things yeah. that I'm afraid of, I, this is so um, humbling or humiliating to say out loud, uh, I'm afraid that God won't be there. I'm mm-hmm. afraid that God won't provide. I'm afraid that God won't give me the grace for the moment. I mean, so I'm afraid that all these things that I've said to people <laughs> to try to comfort them as a priest, like I'm not going to believe when it comes time for mm-hmm. me. And I know better than that, you know? And, and so for me, it's just helpful to say that like God's faithful. I know that, but it helps yeah. me to, to be able to say out loud what I'm afraid of. It helps you, Nick, to say what you're afraid of it helps Mary. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, again, the, the point of this conversation, right? It's we're, we're trying to create, just like we do with priests, we want to try to encourage you who are listening um, to do this, you know, to find time to get together so that, um, you know, like we're, we're looking at each other on video. And so I'm watching Mary fight back tears. I mean, like those are good things, you know, like yeah. emotions are given to us by God. We're, supposed, we're so accustomed to falling for these lies. Like I, I have to be strong, you know, like, no, I don't mm-hmm. have to be strong. God has to be strong. I just have to be real. And I got to let him be God. So maybe if I can, in the midst of all this, you know, just turn it a little bit. So like, what's the Lord saying to you guys in the midst of all that's mm-hmm. happening right now? Like, what are the words 
he's saying to you or what are the uh, the inspirations that he's giving you what's the fruit of your prayer mm. Mm. well um like you you both my dear brothers who i love so much um I have a sacred space in my home where I pray every morning and I wish you could see <laughs> what it looks like. I think I was describing this to father the other day. It looks about as chaotic as the world in which we're living. I've got two Bibles out. I've got a Bible here, another Bible here. I've got two journals open. Um, I've got rosaries, novenas, devotional books. I'm trying so hard to like root myself in truth. And the word of God and in his presence. Um, but as I've, I mean, yesterday in a particular way was a challenging day. So as we stepped away from a set of things that we had had on our calendar, um, I, I just try to get still with the Lord. And, and I think, um, I think all God's really hungering for right now is our hearts. Um, he wants to speak to us. He wants our attention. He wants our presence. He wants our lives. So um, my prayer time, just because of where we find ourselves, has increased. Um, what I'm hungering for is his voice, like saying less and waiting for him. I'm finding refuge in a particular way in the Psalms. Psalm 91 just has just, the words have just been jumping off the page for me. Um, so I think the Lord's just in inviting me to be still so we can hear him. Like I'm waiting for this revelation, like the Lord's just going to speak this big plan. And then I'm going to share it with our brothers and we're going to discern all this, but I'm not hearing anything. Um, but I do believe he's inviting us to be still and to know. Um, I, I do. I have felt even before the crisis became very intense here in Southeast Michigan. Um, the parable of the 10 bridesmaids that we read about in Matthew 25 verses one through 13 about keeping oil in your lamp. Mm -hmm. And so that's just been a theme that I kind of started to walk into this, you know, something that the Lord had already laid on my heart that I've just continued to pray with. Um, and by that, I think the Lord just wants us to have our minds fixed on him, to be eager to hear him. It's a call to be ready. It's a call to be watchful. And, um, so that's what I feel like I'm hearing from the Lord. Mm. I wish I had some big booming voice saying, Mary, here's what you should do. Here's what I'm doing. He's not. I think he's just calling us all to be faithful and to be attentive mm. and to have an honest conversation with him. If you're afraid, I think he just wants me to hear say, Lord, I'm afraid or Lord, I'm sorrowful. And then to hear the Lord say, I know that. But do you know that I'm mm. with you? And that line that I quote all the time, you guys, like, God, God's in the ruins. He's in all of that. And he's just inviting mm. us to come and sit with him and just to have an honest conversation. Yeah, I love the image of the bridesmaids or the, uh, the, yeah, the bridesmaids and the, the lamp. It's a, a great parable to ponder right now. Thanks, Mary. Nick, um, mm. what's the Lord saying to you? Yeah, thanks, Father John. I, um, uh, you know, you both already mentioned, uh, Death is gain, and that that you said. I think you said it maybe at least the first time I heard it. Um, not ever, but just recently. I think it was you, Father John, maybe last week, and that has just ruminated and resonated with my heart constantly, um, especially in the face of what I just shared as my biggest fear. Right, like 
Emily, Emily and baby dying. So, so death is to gain, to live as Christ. That is, um, that has been a real comfort to me. And that he, the Lord says that to me, uh, over and over again, but I've also, um, the Lord is shattering some of my idols that I maybe didn't know were there. Uh, you've been talking about idols lately, Father John, and um, uh, I'm just I'm just materialistic in ways I I I didn't before realize. And you know, <clears throat> I shared back before we got on this podcast. You know, everything's but dust and ashes, and I I just I'm just really feeling that like this is dust and ashes, and that Jesus is saying in that to me, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. I am the life in particular way has been. Um, this clarion call to just be like, Lord, if you are the life and you are deepening my conversion in this time, um, thank you. But also, I don't want to go back to normal. I, I keep hearing, like, so, so in the sports world, I've heard, like, coaches say something like, we just can't wait to get back to normal. Um, I've heard other people in, in the spiritual circles, right? Like, like faith circles say, just can't wait to get back to normal. And I, and there's, there's really good things about that, right? So if someone's lost their job, I can't wait to get back to normal when I have a job again. Of course, if someone is, is, um, you know, they can't see friends and family that maybe they're even living by themselves in their home. They just, there's total isolation. I can't wait to get back to normal so I can see people. Yes. Those things are great. But what I pray we don't go back to normal in, and this is what I think like mm-hmm. the Lord's putting on my heart is I don't want to go back to normal where I can ignore the Lord so easily for parts of my day, or I can so easily put idols back in my life and treat them as though they're so important that I would ignore um, the call to holiness. I don't want to go back to the, the normal way of doing church, if you will, that just seems sometimes so uh, perfunctory or, or, um, or rote. You know, I want to see life back in our, our, our church communities. I want to see more bold moves to, to evangelize mm. the nation. I also, I also don't want stores to be open 24 hours anymore, right? I mean, like, I want to see, mm-hmm. um, I want to see people walking on the street with their families, like I am right now. I, I want to see mm-hmm. life grow. I don't want to go back to normal in that way. And that, so for me, I feel like the Lord's really saying, like, uh, both from a ministry perspective, right? Because this is some of the things we talk about, but but also just personally, like Nick, you even if you know, even if those stores do go back to normal, even if people don't choose to walk on the street as much as they used to after this coronavirus, you and your family don't have to go back to normal. And that's the most important thing that we can, Mm -hmm. we can as a family continue to witness in the world. We're not going back to normal. Please God help us not go back to normal. Nick, you know, as I'm listening, you know, um, I, I, we've, we've talked amongst ourselves that oftentimes on the heels of something cataclysmic or catastrophic revival happens. And I'd be lying if I, didn't say like I want to be around when revival happens because that's that's one of our favorite words, right? And and I too am hopeful, but I think we're seeing families get revived. To your point, you know, to to, to read the readings at home, to pray, um, uh, to kneel. <laughs> I was telling Father John the other day I missed the posture, you know, of being able to. Mm. You know, to go into a church because posture is so important to worship. But we can kneel at home. We can pray prostrate at home. And uh, so there's so much good that will come out of this. Um, the world's been really crazy for a long, long time. And maybe this is a reset. And, um, yeah, we don't, have, we don't have to go back to the way we live lives. I mean, I think we're all convicted how lukewarm we can operate. Um, and uh, 
yeah, this just causes us to want to dial it up a notch to to be heroic in our families and and to our, with our neighbors. Like there's just certain things that you just can't wait for spring to come. Um, after the trial is over and the suffering is past, may it be so, Lord Jesus, to go out and to really love and to live mm. the lives that God called us to be. May these days make us great, right? Yeah, yeah. one of the things you're saying, Mary, is that, is that I've been hearing over and over again, is just kind of what an opportunity this is for the family to reclaim its role as the first church. So I've been reflecting quite a bit uh, in my own prayer, just on the Feast of Passover. And so Passover is the foundation for um, all that, you know, the, so it's the Old Testament foundation for understanding what it is that Jesus has done for us, right? So it's it's the feast associated with the deliverance from slavery, which then becomes the foreshadowing of the feast, which is the Eucharist, which is making present again of our race's deliverance from slavery to sin and death. And mm. so the Passover, the Passover was a family feast. That's where it was celebrated. It wasn't celebrated in the temple wasn't celebrated um, in a public square. It was celebrated in the home and the instructions mm-hmm. were given to the father to celebrate it. And so, especially in these days right now, when people can't get to church, it's an opportunity. Um, I'm, I'm aware of how many families are like, we, we, we're trying to find some way to celebrate, especially as we prepare for Holy Week, these extraordinary events uh, as a family. And so, we, we, you know, some of you have talked about how, uh, how many families are, doing things like spending time at meals together, playing games together, just talking together. Please, God, we're, we're finding ways to, to reclaim, again, the importance of, um, of the, what the church calls the domestic church, the home church, the first church. I know, too, for me, one of the things that uh, the Lord's been saying to me, I went into the church the other day and just said, Lord, what, what do you want? Like, what do you want from me? And, man, it was one of those times where I just felt like I heard him speak so quickly. And I, he just said, John, you need to pray. Mm. And I'm like, I need to pray. Like I'm praying all the time. It was, but it was like, no, no, no. <laughs> mm. You need to pray. You need to pray for it. So it's the beginning of Father Jim and I, the priest I live with, we were talking last night at dinner, the, the passage that has always struck me, but especially now, you know, the beginning of Lent, Ash Wednesday is the reading from the second chapter of Joel, where the instruction is given to the Old Testament priests. But the priests, the ministers of the Lord stand before him and cry out, spare, O mm. Lord, your people. And so I've just mm. been mm. praying that myself, you know, maybe just one last thing, and then maybe we can try to uh, close this for folks is, uh, you know, like what's going to be different? And clearly one of the things that's going to be different, I mean, the economy is going to be different. Businesses are just getting decimated, right? And parishes are getting decimated. There are so many parishes that simply will not survive this because economically mm. they won't have the resources to do it. And so church is going to look very different as we emerge from that. And, and that's not something that needs to make us afraid or panicked or whatnot. God, as you just said a moment ago, Mary, God is in the ruins, right? So um, praise be Jesus. Thank you. Thank you guys for, for sharing all that you have for, for the, the reflections on the word of God yeah. that you've, that you found to be helpful. Thanks for the honesty and the reality. Mm-hmm. And um, any last thoughts? Well, you know me, I always have something to say. <laughs> Y'all are so patient with me. Um, we're recording this on Friday, right? So uh, it's Friday the 27th of March, and I'm struck by the psalm today, which has long been one of my favorites, especially as I'm ministering to women. And it's uh, 
Psalm 34 is the Lord is close to the brokenhearted. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and those who are crushed in spirit, he saves. Many are the troubles of the just man, but out of them all, the Lord delivers them. Mm. And so um, the Lord has promised to be close to you and to me and to all of us because our spirits are crushed and a little broken. And, um, and uh, just just press into the news, the good news. Start your day with the good yeah. news, right? And not the yeah, and, and not word. the worldly news, right? Get rooted. You know, let the first thing that settles on your soul in the morning be the good news, so that when the bad news comes, and it will come throughout the day and the weeks, that you have something that helps navigate that and balance that out. Yeah, good, good, good word, Mary. Thank you for that, Nick. Any uh, parting thought? Yeah, just uh, real quick. Um, so, so last night, um, preparing for this podcast, I asked my family five questions. My brother's living here with us right now, uh, and during this time, um, you know, he's he's laid off, um, and then my wife. And so we're 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 sitting there chatting, and I asked these five questions that we kind of asked ourselves for this podcast. And I just, I'm going to list them right here, and I'll tell you what happened. So f- the first question is, "How are you?" Very simple, right? Second question, "What are you feeling? What are you afraid of?" What is the Lord saying to you? And where do you find solace, comfort, and strength? So we just had that conversation. And um, everybody shared very vulnerably. It was a beautiful conversation. A lot of fears, some tears, you know, some struggles, anxieties. Um, And uh, this brought us closer together by doing that. But then the Lord, um, in talking about where we're at in our journey with him, everybody shared how they're praying more now than ever. They're praying throughout the day. And all of us had the same conviction that, wow, this is how we're supposed to normally live, you know, not in coronavirus time and, um, or crisis mode. But that was a beautiful revelation. But then we prayed with one another. And um, I think everybody said this morning already, that's the best I've slept all week. And um, so just to, to pray into what was happening was so helpful. And so for those of you who find themselves in at least, you know, I speak to at least fathers who are thinking, how do I bring Jesus more front and center? Ask your wife or your family, whoever's with you, those five questions, even over a phone call, right? And then offer to pray. Offer to pray with them and let God go to work. Yeah, beautiful thought. Thanks. Practical. I like that. I might, I might close if I can, uh, going back to the Passover and just uh, hearing both of you talk right now. So um, Exodus 12, uh, God, after he gives the instructions to Moses on how to celebrate the Passover, um, then tells them, uh, you shall observe this rite, the Passover, as an ordinance for you and for your sons forever. And when you come to the land, which the Lord will give you as he has promised, you shall keep this service. And when your children say to you, what do you mean by this sacrifice? You shall say, it is the sacrifice of the Lord's Passover. For he passed over the houses of the sons of Israel and Egypt when he slew the Egyptians but spared our houses. And as I keep thinking about that, especially right now, I keep thinking of our Jewish brothers and sisters and for how many centuries they have celebrated the Passover in times of extraordinary disaster, whether it was exile or the destruction of the temple or the the horrors of the 20th century. And yet every year this feast has been celebrated in, in such less than idyllic times, and they have reminded their children, we do this because this feast calls to mind 
what we as Christians know has been fulfilled in the person of Jesus, this simple truth. God acts. He intervenes. He rescues. He saves. He loves. He delivers his people. That doesn't mean that today is going to be an easy day. That doesn't mean that all our problems are going to go magically away. It means that he's done something about the thing that we most fear, which is death. And because he has, because this is true, you don't have to be afraid. God is with you. You were born for this.